North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. So today on the podcast, we have a message that was actually from a couple of weeks ago uh, from a guest speaker, Brian Janson. Brian is uh, the pastor of the Mid-City Vineyard in New Orleans and has also recently come on as a member of our board of leadership at North Shore Vineyard to kind of help us navigate some things. He's been a great friend of mine personally for couple of decades now and uh, is sharing a message about how church ought to be the place where we practice reconciliation. We practice going through conflict. We practice forgiveness. So let's go to the talk. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Crispin. How are you? Good. I'm one of Crispin's best friends in ministry. <laughs> I consider Crispin just one of my best friends. But I'm one of his best friends in ministry. you guys, and I was excited to get the invitation back. Crispin said a couple of families left the church during his sabbatical, but uh, I got the invite back, so it must not have been because of me. <laughs> so whoever those other six sabbatical speakers were, we'll, uh, we'll give those folks a... <laughs> In, uh In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28, St. Paul writes, We proclaim Christ, teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. When my wife Christy and I uh, planted Mid-City Vineyard, uh, it was about, yeah, two and a half, almost three years ago Check, check, check. Better? When we planted Mid-City Vineyard about two and a half, three years ago, uh, this was one of those passages that, for me, um, I said, you know, there's, there's going to be this thing. If Are you fixing it? It's weird for me. Is it okay for you guys? It's a little boomy. Better? Good. Should we just start completely over? One of his best friends in ministry. So when we when we planted uh, Mid City Vineyard, this was this was kind of the thing. It's like I, I said to Christy as as we continue on. I, I've been 
in, uh, I have been in ministry for about 20 years now. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that uh, a lot of people are engaged in church and a lot of people are engaged in, in, in spiritual things, religious things, and yet at the same time I see so many people, myself included for so many years, not growing up in Christ. You know, just kind of going through the motions and going through the motions, and then uh, when when things get get rough, you know, jumping ship or or not knowing how to not knowing how to navigate through life uh, with Christ or with others in the community of faith, and it's one of those things where it's like I just don't see enough of us growing up in Christ. And I think that's what Paul was experiencing a, a lot of. It's kind of like this, this whole idea of he, Paul would keep saying, come on, come on. Paul would so bold to, to say things like, hey, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Like if you want to know what it looks like to, to follow Christ, just do what I'm doing. Which is, which is pretty, pretty bold, but basically Paul was saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going after this with everything I have, and, and, and so you can follow after me as I follow after Christ, and my desire is that you would grow up, that you would grow up in Christ. That, that kind of saying, I hope I grow up before I grow old, has kind of uh, become, over the last couple of years, uh, a little bit of a mantra for, for me. I feel like I personally am on a mission to grow, and honestly, I want to take as many people with me as we grow in Christ as possible, and I'm learning how to do that. I haven't uh, arrived in any way, shape, or form, uh, but I think that uh, there's, there's a growing curve here. So today, I want to look at a, just a couple of things on, on how it is that we might uh, mature in Christ. One of, the, one of the greatest things that we can do uh, in any avenue of our life where we want to grow in something is we have to actually uh, practice. So I have one son who is, uh, how old is Nate? 11. My 11-year-old, my third boy. 12, he's 12. <laughs> Got a few of them. Nate, Nate's 12. And Nate is a baseball player, loves baseball. Nate's been playing baseball since he was seven years old. And uh, he plays year-round ball. And when you play year-round ball, you practice a lot. And Nate is getting better and better and better week after week after week. And Nate, Nate pitches and Nate plays shortstop. And, uh, you know, Nate is continually going to practice with his coaches, with his pitching coach, uh, with his infielder coach. But then when he's at home, he's always watching videos. He's always trying to figure out what's the next best thing and, and how, to, how to throw and how to increase velocity and all these kinds of uh, how to throw different pitches and all these things. But Nate practices and practices and practices and practices. I have an, uh, another son, my 14-year-old, Micah. He's my oldest. And Micah just recently got a, got a kind of a job where he, uh, he works at an art school, and his, his art teacher uh, gives him cash each week. And the other day, I, I asked Micah, I said, so what do, you, what do you plan on doing with all this money? Because, like, you're the richest 14-year-old I know. And, and he says, well, I, I plan on spending it. <laughs> I said, what else do you want to do with your money? I said, uh, have you ever considered saving some of your money? He's like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. And I said, and I am curious. I said, and, and nothing, no pressure from me here, but ha have you ever considered uh, how, how you want to be 
formed as a person as far as being known as someone who's generous or not. And, and Mike was like, well, yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to be someone who's generous. Maybe I, when I get a little bit more money, I could be more generous. I said, well, you know, son, uh, one thing that you could try is you could try practicing now how to be a generous person. I said, you make, you make right now anywhere between $25 and $50 a week. What if you started taking part of that money and sticking it over uh, into, a, into a, a jar, a give jar? And what if you took a little bit of that money and you put it in a save jar? And what if you took the rest of that money and you spent it on yourself? I said, do you think that maybe over the over the years, the the more you practice now with that little bit, if you were to give it into the if you were to put it into the give jar, and then when you see a need and you want to use that money to give it away, do you think that that would help increase your ability to be generous as you as you grow up and as you as you reach your twenties and thirties and forties and and that kind of thing eventually? And and Micah said, man, that's an incredible idea, Dad. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's, that's why I'm the dad. <laughs> but what's it going to take for him to really be a generous person? It's going to take practice. He needs to practice. He needs to start diving in, thinking about this, figuring this out a little bit. There are lots of ways to grow. There are lots of ways to mature. And um, I want to look today particularly for us as a community at, at, at one way. Um, because this particular thing that I want to talk about today, it really combats our society's individualism. It combats our society's selfishness and narcissism and consumerism. We do live in a society that is highly individualistic, would you agree? Incredibly narcissistic? Selfish? I believe these things. Consumeristic? There's a discipline. There are all kinds of disciplines. We learn the discipline of generosity we, by giving. We learn the the, the discipline of, um, um, of connecting with God through perhaps praying. We, le- we learn all kinds of different things. There's the discipline that I want to ta- talk to, to you about today is the, the discipline of stick to itiveness, sticking to it. The, uh, the monks, the, the Benedictine monks actually called this the vow of stability. And I will, uh, I will come back to the vow of stability in just a little while. But I think there's something really uh, beautiful here that that the Spirit of God has for us today as we look into the Scriptures and, and think about how might we continue to be formed in our lives? How might we continue to grow? How might we continue to grow up in Christ before we grow old? So, Holy Spirit, we, we welcome your presence here. We thank you. Um, we thank you that you have not left us to stumble and bumble and figure out life on our own ourselves, even though it feels like that sometimes, absolutely. But God, that you are always present and that you are always in our corner. You are always pulling for us. You are always desiring to grow us and to mature us and to form us and to shape us. And so today we welcome you and ask for more of that, more forming, more shaping through the power of your spirit and by your grace, Lord. Amen. On your outline, there's a passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And this is what uh, St. Paul writes there. He says, now, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Now, all of this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore now Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you now on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, most of the time when we hear this passage, we focus on uh, this, the first part of the passage about being a new creation. We, we, perhaps we've, we've come to Christ, and so we talk about the fact that the old is gone, and now the new is here, and we are a new creation in Christ, so to speak. But the part that I really want to focus on today is this thing that happens after. You know, when, when, when a person, when the Spirit of God is, is, is comes to, uh, how, how, how would I want to say that? Um, when the Spirit of God is, when, when you are awakened to the Spirit of Christ in you. When, when you and I are awakened to the Spirit of God in us. And, and we realize, wow, the, 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 the old patterns and the old way of living according to the ways of the world, according to individualism and narcissism and selfishness and, and greed and, and, and all of these things, unforgiveness, when, when we, we realize, hey, you know what, there's a, there's a new life that I've been invited to and I don't have to live that way anymore. I, I follow the ways of Jesus in, into the, the kingdom life. And then Paul says, but now here's the thing, you've been reconciled to God, keeping in mind that you were at odds with God. God was never at odds with you. And, and now you've been reconciled. You've, you've actually not turned your back any longer to God, but you've kind of turned around and been like, oh, through Jesus here. Oh, that's what's going on. And now Paul says you've been reconciled to God, and so now you have the ministry. You are given the ministry of reconciliation so that now you're able to go about and to express to people to express to all of creation that God is not angry at you, God is not mad at you, God is passionate about you, God loves you, God is merciful and God is gracious, and you are reconciled to God. God's on your side, God's in your corner kind of a thing. You're an ambassador, an ambassador. you are a representative of this God. Now, of all of the ministries that we assume as Christians, I can only think of really this one place in Scripture where it's so, so uh, obviously stated that the, the ministry that we've been given is the one of reconciliation. And yet, so often I have specialized in other ministries, like the ministry of judgment. I'm very good at that one. Uh, the ministry of critique. Perhaps you're good at that one like I am. The ministry of retribution. The ministry of fairness. Uh, all of these other types of ministries, yet we were never asked to major in those. We were given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, here's your mandate. Represent God in all of God's brilliance and in all of God's goodness and all of God's mercy and grace and beauty. Let people know God is for you. That's your ministry. So now go out and represent. So here's a thought. How do we practice the ministry of reconciliation out in the community, out in the world, when we struggle so desperately to even practice reconciliation with one another in these walls oftentimes, in the circles that we run? This is one of those things where, for me, 
it comes up over and over again. I recently had a conversation with someone who was incredibly, incredibly upset with me. So much so that they did not want to be reconciled. I, I, had, I had upset them in some way, shape, or form, and uh, they, did not, they, they do not want to be reconciled. And so I kept, I kept trying to, I was asking, I was like, I, I understand that I've, I've hurt your feelings, and I, I understand that, you know, I, 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 but I'm asking for an opportunity. May we, may we sit, may we discuss, I don't want to talk to you. Okay, well, how are we going to, how do we move forward? You know, how, how do we continue to be people and ambassadors and representatives and those who, who, are, who are called to, to be reconcilers if we're not, like, is there any way, shape, or form that we can be reconciled? Can we at least start down the path? No, I, I don't want to do that. Now, I, I was really angry about this until I started to realize how many times in my own life I've done that to other people. I don't want to be reconciled. I don't, I don't want to go down that path. Why not? Because it's hard work. It's really hard work. And there are, there are probably two different types of, uh, of, of folks here today. The first is you, you have, you have no, no conflict going on. Everything is just fantastic. There's probably like one of you here. And... Um, you know, and, and, and for you, you're, you're listening and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, like what he's saying. This makes so much sense. I, I need to remember to practice that in the future. But in the future, when the stuff hits the fan and it's time to actually work through it and be reconciled, just take my word for it right now. You're not going to remember this message fondly. You're going to remember it more like, yeah, he didn't really know. He was kind of off his rocker. Like, that, it, it, this, that's too hard. I don't really want to. And then there's another group here this morning that's like, yeah, I know I have all this crap going on between me and so-and-so and me and so-and-so and me and so-and-so, and I know, but I know he's not talking about those situations. This thing that we're talking about, this, this understanding of, of working through conflict and being reconciled to one another, is incredibly hard, painful work. And our society does not teach this at all. My son, Nate, who plays baseball, 12 years old, travel team, uh, he's been playing on the same team for years. A few months ago, uh, one of the kids missed a fly ball out in the outfield. Kid's been on the team for two or three years. Kid missed a fly ball. Coach took him out. Put in another kid. Boy's mom walked over to the dugout and started yelling at Coach, why'd you take my boy out? Well, <laughs> we're trying to get into the state tournament. Missed the fly ball. We really need this win. She looks at her boy. She says, pack your bags. Middle of the game. Puts his bat in the bag, puts his glove in the bag. She says, my boy won't be back. They leave. I see this happen in marriages so often. This one does something to this one. And this one says, well, you shouldn't have done that. I'm out of here. Like, literally, I've seen this. And we're not talking abusive, we're not talking abuse here. We're, we're, we're talking, I don't like, 
uh, you know, the way you fold the towels and the way you put the toilet paper roll in the toilet paper roll. And I don't like the way you cook meatloaf. I'm out of here. I, I've seen this. Jobs. I, I, I work with more folks who are like, you know, I, I can't, I just, it, it, it's, it's not me, it's my employer. And they're on their fourth job. They're on their fifth job in the last six months. It might not be your employer. We live in a society that is intent on having it my way, and if it's not my way, I'm out of here. And the thing about this is, there's nowhere for us to really press in and practice unless we allow ourselves to be forced into that space and into that place. See, because here's the thing. All of life is a struggle. In all of life, there is conflict. In all of life, there is pain. In all of life, there is difficulty. Can I get an amen? Amen. See, that is right. But at some point, we have to decide, what do I want out of this thing called life? What do I want out of it? What's most important to you? Happiness, peace, being right, being understood, winning, money, possessions, notoriety. What, what is most important to you? Now, very few people in the room would say, being right, that is most important to me. Notoriety, that's most important to me. Winning, that's most important to me. Very few people would actually go that direction and say those things out loud. But ultimately, I would say that you are, in many ways, what you love. And you and I are shaped and formed by what we love most. And so, if being right is what you ultimately love most, you will find that you are very much shaped and formed by figuring out ways to make sure everyone knows that you are right. If possessions are most important to you, or if whatever it might be, uh, you will be shaped and formed. Just, just look at the trajectory of your life. How do you ultimately, ultimately make your decisions? We like to say, especially in churches, that God is the most important thing in my life. But then a lot of times, myself included, by the way, we don't look very much like God. Because our 401k, we need to bolster it more, and so we'll sell our souls to work more, to put more in our 401k, even though God's most important, but we don't trust God in the area of our finances, or whatever it might be. These are just... If self-preservation is most important to you, you will seek it at all costs. If safety is most important, you will seek it. If being right or not being hurt is most important to you, you will seek that at all costs. If learning and moving and growing into maturity into the ways of Christ is most important to you, then you will begin to move and seek that at all costs, I would suggest. But the only way you can ultimately do that is with other people. And this is kind of where the rubber hits the road. Because contrary to our society, we're about your individualism and your 
your narcissism and my individualism and my narcissism and all these kinds of different things. We ultimately are not individuals. We ultimately are inter-individuals, as one theologian likes to say. Which means that we are formed and shaped and molded and transformed in our lives through community, in the presence and with other people. That's where the real rubber hits the road. And so, if you want to grow, if you are one who wants to continue to mature in Christ, then the thing that we can and should potentially do more than anything else is learn the art of reconciliation and learn the art of committing to working things out right here with one another, first and foremost. Nothing made me more sad that day when that mom took her boy off the baseball team because my thought was, what has he just learned? Because he's learned an incredibly important value. Unfortunately, it's going to shape him the rest of his life in the wrong direction. What he learned that day is when the going gets tough, I just jump ship. I leave. I didn't get my way, so I'm done. This happens in jobs. This happens on baseball teams. This happens everywhere in our society. This happens in churches all the time. And I would suggest, and this is, one of, this is one of those messages that it's much easier for someone like me to come in and, and talk to you about this than it is for Crispin. Because if Crispin were to stand up here and talk about it, it won't almost, he would almost feel like he's manipulating the situation. But see, for me, I believe this with all my heart. And, it's, and I'm going to give my notes to Crispin. He's going to come preach it to my church next week. But here's the thing. Do you want to grow? Do you want to be shaped? Do you want to be formed into the ways of Christ? Then stick it out. You have issues with other people. Learn to work through it. Learn to press in. Because if we are the kind of people who are always running then we're never being formed. We're never being shaped, not in the ways of Christ-likeness. Now, please keep in mind, I'm not talking about issues of abuse and and those kinds of things, okay? Uh, Whether it's physical or or emotional or or verbal abuse, but that's not what we're talking about. I do believe that even in those, there can be reconciliation, but sometimes there's got to be separation. But I'm talking about, (laughs) you hurt my feelings. You said something I didn't like. You're involved in, in something I don't agree with, whatever it might be. But it's, it's this idea of how do we, how might I be shaped or formed in this process? And what might reconciliation look like in this situation? Back to the Benedictine monks and the vow of stability. I love this uh, where the monks would take a vow of stability as they would learn to live life together. One, uh, one Benedictine monk said it like this. He says, we vow to remain all of our life with our local community. We live together. 
We pray together. We work together. We relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of the ideal situation. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflict arises, we have a great incentive to work things out and to restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and learning to forgive. I personally believe that the church offers us one of the most beautiful places to learn life together. If you want to be a person who grows in forgiveness, then be a part of that community where forgiveness can be practiced. If you want to be a person that wants to grow in generosity, then be a part of that community that's learning together the practice of generosity. If you want to be a person who learns how to work through conflict, then stop running away from conflict every time it arises. Find that place where you can actually be committed to working together through conflict. It's, I, I think when Jesus uh, kind of set this thing up, there, there's something beautiful that's supposed to take place here. This, right here, this, is supposed to be a microcosm of the life of the future. So that when my kid gets benched, I can say, son, I know it's awful, but we're going to stick this out. We're going to stick it out. We're going to learn what we have to learn here because this is, how, this is how we practice life. And this is something I learned from my own parents, and this is something that I'm learning in my community of faith. I learn, I practice here with my community of faith, and then when I go to my son's baseball team where nobody on that, on, on, on that team follows Christ, we're able to just live a different type of life. But where else do we practice? Well, we practice with each other. So today, what I'd like to do, we're going to share communion together at the end, and your, your mandate for this week is to go out and annoy each other and then work through it together. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, last, last passage here, how are we going to do communion? Is there more music that's going to take place? Or, yeah, sure, that looks like there is now. So um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, listen to how... Jesus says this. He says, now listen, if you go to offer a gift at the altar and you remember at that moment that your brother or your sister has something against you, he says, I want you to leave the gift right there at the altar first. I want you to go and I want you to be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. Because Jesus knows you can't be a person who has and, and who, who practices the ministry of reconciliation for complete strangers and, and, and inviting people to, to experience more of the life of Christ when you can't even do it in your own house. So Jesus says, hey, get your stuff straight. Figure this stuff out with each other. We could probably do two or three whole more ser sermons on, on how to do that. Um, but there are a couple of ways. There are some, um, I'm and I'm being serious about this, pick up a book on conflict resolution. 
The next time the, the North Shore Vineyard offers the, the Relate course, sign up and be a part of it because we talk a lot about conflict resolution and how to work through differences. And you say, well, that's just for, for married people. Yeah, everybody needs some conflict resolution skills. But today we're going to share communion together. Because here's what happens at the communion table. This is the place of reconciliation. You see, this is the place where we take the body, the bread that represents the body of Christ. And we dip it into the juice that represents the blood of Christ. And what's happening when Christ gives his body and his blood? He's saying, listen, you are reconciled to God. And in this, and in this, this community, in this, in this space and in this place, Jesus says, I want you to now be reconciled to one another. It, when we come to the communion table, we realize there is no black and there is no white and there is no, there is no gay and, and, and straight. There is no Democrat and there is no Republican. There is no, there's no old and there is no young. There's no, it's just we're, we're one humanity who have been reconciled, bound together by the love and life and mercy and grace of Christ. And so we come to the communion table. And we share in that oneness, oneness with one another, oneness with Christ. So I'd like to invite those who are going to be um, holding the elements today. And as Crispin begins to sing and we begin to worship again in song together, I invite you to, why don't we all stand? Let's do that. And I invite you to, to come and to receive the life of Christ. pray that this ministry of reconciliation that you have given to us, Lord, that we might be true and beautiful representatives of you and your kingdom. Lord, wherever there is uh, difficulty and wherever there is conflict and wherever there are things that stand between us and others, Lord, would you fill us with the grace that we need to begin to make forward steps. Lord, let this practice ground be a place where we really do grow, we mature, we are formed into your likeness day after day after day. And so church, today as you go, may the Lord God bless you. May the Lord God keep you. May the Spirit of God open your eyes to see beauty all around you. May the Lord God give you wisdom and grace in all of your interactions, and may the Lord God give you favor in everything that you put your hand to, in every conversation that you have. May the Lord God cause His face to shine upon you, and may the Lord God give you peace as you go. We pray all these things today in the name of God, the Father and Creator of all of creation, in the name of Jesus, the cosmic Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come.
In the name of the Holy Spirit that breathes life into all of creation, that breathes life into our very lungs. And together, everyone in the church said, Amen, Amen. Hey, listen, if you need prayer for anything, uh, specifically, then I want to invite you to come on up to the front area here. We have some folks that would love to pray for you and with you. And if not, God bless you. Have a great week.